0: Hi everyone. Good morning. I'm Tracy Lang. I'm a deputy managing editor at CoinDesk and did a lot of reporting on FTX. And I'm joined here today by Anthony Scaramucci, who really needs no introduction. He is the founder of Skybridge Capital, a crypto, well, a hedge fund asset manager with you know significant activity in crypto. And joining us virtually is uh, Brett Harrison, all the way from Thailand. So thank you so much, Brett, uh, who is the former president of FTX US and now the CEO and founder of Architect. So um, Anthony, we last spoke at the SALT conference, which was a great conference uh, that you put on back in September, and you know, it's now been five months since FTX collapsed. How are you holding up?
1: You know, listen, it was a very disappointing thing that happened and just uh a Lay the backdrop, when we last spoke, we had made the announcement about our sale, a partial sale of our company to Sam and FTX Ventures. Uh, it was probably five or six days prior. So we went from hero to zero in that transaction in about eight weeks. And the last time you and I spoke, we were probably seven days into that announcement. But I think the uh, important thing for me, and I obviously want to hear what Brett has to say, is I think it's very important to talk about it because if I can prevent one person from having have happen to them what happened to us, then it's worth it to me to talk about it. Uh, but I think we're holding up quite nicely and I think we've gotten the full benefit of the last quarter uh, in terms of what's going on in the cryptocurrency space. So we're, we're having our, that was probably our best quarter that we've had in 10 years mm-hmm. at our firm. So I'm very happy with that. So, things seem to be shaping up nicely this year.
0: All right, that, that's good to hear. Um, and, Brett, what have you been up to in, in the past five months?
2: Yeah, I thinking back to that same SALT conference. Um, I spoke back then as well. And at that time, I was you know, preparing for my exit from FTX US. I had basically all but exited the firm at that time and was starting to work on my new venture and was actually talking with, uh, with Anthony and his son AJ and the SALT fund about. Um, supporting this venture, which they did, and I'm extremely grateful to them for that. And you know, it's been an unbelievable roller coaster up and down for I mean obviously for everyone in the industry, but you know for, for me personally, um, having just seen firsthand the, the absolute devastation of, of for everyone involved, whether those were like the customers or my employees or all the work that we had done. And um, getting over it was tough, as Anthony said, talking about it has been extremely important. Um, I know that a lot of my colleagues and my former employees were, especially in the beginning, scared to talk about what was going on inside the company and were concerned about retaliation and other sort of legal threats and all the kind of online with social media, everything going on there. And by getting out in the open like this and talking about what's happened, I do think it's going to result in us building a much more resilient industry.
0: All right. Thanks, Brett. Um, Anthony, you talked a little bit about the FTX Ventures stake in, in SkyBridge. Uh, now that FTX is in bankruptcy and FTX Ventures is, is one of those silos, what's kind of the fate of that SkyBridge stake? Are you trying to unwind the deal? Well, no, I mean, the, the,
1: the, the problem is the, uh, the bankruptcy proceedings are always, they take a long time. I don't want to be cynical about it, but there's a tremendous amount of legal fees that get run up in a, bankruptcy proceeding. And so there's an incentive to slow things down. Um, We contacted the investment bankers and the bankruptcy lawyers related to the stake. Um, I've talked about this before, so I'll be pretty open about it. Uh, What Sam Ball was a 30% interest with an understanding that he would have the right to buy the remaining part of the company over a two-year period. And so I think the good news for us there was less of a concern about having minority shareholder rights. So there's no economics associated with that piece. He's not uh, The bankruptcy state's not entitled to preferred income or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And it had no management control or board seat. So it's really not valuable to anybody other than us. And I guess at some point we'll be able to buy it back or frankly not buy it back. And so if we don't buy it back, it's okay with me as well because – You know, we took uh, capital onto our balance sheet. Uh, Some of it we lost in the FTT token. I sold that token at a loss. Uh, And uh, just to
0: clarify, you know, uh, some of the, so a portion of the funds that Sam gave as part of the investment. We we uh, got
1: cash. uh, We agreed to buy $10 million of the FTT token. Um, But I also, you know, bought a pretty large position in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that now Bitcoin's had a big move. Uh, since we made that purchase, so you know we're sitting on ample cash on our balance sheet, ample crypto currency reserves on our balance sheet, and so you know some people in the press have written a couple of obituaries about SkyBridge. I think that the, our demise is greatly exaggerated. We've got a tremendous amount of capital at the firm, and uh, you know our partners are personally well financed. So I'm, I'm just going to sit and wait. And my guess is at some point the bankruptcy estate will get to it. Um, our friends at LedgerX, that Brett and I know very well, um, they just sold their business, the bankruptcy uh, estate sold their business to uh, Myaxe, which is the Miami Stock Exchange. Uh, and it's an interesting part of the story because I was a seed investor in Ledger X. I actually introduced that team to Sam I think it was at the Bitcoin Conference in Miami a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, Brett and Sam bought that business. Uh, the Miami Stock Exchange, myself and a few guys from Goldman were the seed investors of the business, and now it's sort of returning back to the Miami Stock Exchange. So um, I think there'll be a positive outcome on the eventual sale, uh, but we don't have to necessarily buy it back either. We can just sort of leave it right where it is.
0: So it sounds like you know you had introduced a lot of people from your Rolodex to Sam. Can you talk a little bit more about you know, the relationship that you had with Sam? I think I read some reports in the media that you were fundraising in the Middle East with him, and uh, you kind of introduced him to a whole roster of investors, and I'm, I'm assuming a lot of people in Washington, DC. What was well, it like?
1: This is, you know, so this is actually something Brett and I have talked about as well. I thought, I thought I, look, I liked Sam. I think what Sam did was obviously a betrayal uh, and I think, un- unfortunately for Sam and his family, uh, you know, he disgraced his family and he'll likely go to jail for a very, very long time. But remember, I'm not a guy that's gonna revise history. I genuinely like Sam. If I didn't like Sam, I wouldn't have gone into business with him. And I wouldn't have made my uh, contact list available to him in FTX. And so it was very disappointing to me to see what actually unfolded. But but here's the good news. Uh, the people I made the introductions to, Uh, didn't get through the due diligence process, and so they didn't make any investments. So any of those people in the Middle East that we introduced them to didn't make the investments. I did introduce them to a lot of people in Washington. Um, I think that Sam has set us back regulatorily. Uh, uh, I think Sam has embarrassed a lot of people in Washington. He gave a lot of money in terms of political donations. He spent a lot of time with our regulators. Again, we're here now, but let's go back to August or even July of last year, Sam was considered a white knight. He was considered somebody that was uh, leading the industry as it related to potential regulation of the industry. So the demise of Sam and the exposure of the fraud, I think, has embarrassed a lot of people in Washington. And you're now seeing the pendulum. Again, these are my opinions. But it's swinging too far now uh, in terms of the overregulation of the industry and perhaps even a choke point related to the industry in terms of the industry's being able to be banked Mm -hmm. in the United States. So we'll we'll have to see what happens, but hopefully um, smarter and more practical people will step in and we'll avoid that.
0: Um, Brett, so you've spoken out recently kind of about the terms of your departure from FTX US, and you mentioned a lot of disagreements you've had with Sam, and it sounded like the the two of you certainly butted heads. Um, During your time at FTX US, can you kind of recount if there were any red flags that you saw and kind of what made you lose faith in the business and kind of exit?
2: Yeah. So just to be totally clear, I never saw red flags and I never lost faith in the business. Even when I left that company, um, you know, and I, I talked about this at the time, I was still a huge believer in the company. I was still an equity holder in the company. I still kept my own money on the exchange. And I still kept in touch with all my former employees who are still doing incredible work for that company. What happened was I saw management issues that I thought were going to have to be resolved at some time. But the interpersonal issues between Sam and myself were too great that I felt I was unlikely to be the one to solve them. And in fact, you know, having brought those up multiple times in a number of different ways with Sam and his team, you know, I was basically retaliated against for, for trying to raise those issues and sort of threatened in a number of ways. And therefore, had no choice but to leave myself. But remember, there were, you know, over 75 large institutional investors in FTX and FTX US, and it's as we all know in this industry and in the startup industry in general, it's very typical for there to be this sort of smart, you know, uh, whiz kid who's, you know, creating this incredible company, but is not the right person to professionally manage that company long-term, and so those investors will eventually bring in a professional CEO or a COO, someone to help bring a company from that early stage where things are entirely chaotic to that next level where it is you know, actually run like a proper company, and that is fully what I expected to happen with FTX and FTX US. and of course there was obviously much, much, much deeper issues happening at the company where Sam Could you and be a little his, bit more specific you know, cohort, on... on- sure.
0: Uh, just you mentioned a lot of these disagreements and issues that you saw. These, you know, management issues. Uh, could you provide us for maybe a little bit more specific what those issues were?
2: Yeah. So here are a couple. Um, one big one was sort of the management and the size of the tech team. You know, it was something that Sam talked about very publicly how proud he was that the company had so few software developers to build such a huge and incredible product. And the reality was that many of us internally felt okay, that's fine for an early stage startup, but that's not okay for a $32 billion business. We need to hire more. We need to grow more. We have to keep up with the pace of what we're trying to promise to the world in terms of what we're building. That was one. Uh, communication was a huge issue. So many decisions were being made out of the Bahamas, and the U.S. people systematically being left out of many of those decisions. We would often find out about big you know, deals basically from the news or the like second they would go out through a press release. There was such a lack of like really good kind of uh, internal management structure and decision-making that it felt, again, things that were extremely chaotic there.
0: Now, do you think that, you know, Sam had placated all these investors and, and traders on his platform that Alameda Research, which is a his market maker and trading firm, was very separate from FTX, the exchange, and um, now it appears that that was not the case at all. And, you know, there people are also curious if, FTX US was really separate from FTX International, the exchange that was based in the Bahamas. And so do you think that there were the proper controls between the US arm of FTX and the international arm? And um, I guess second part to this question is, you know, if not, do you think FTX US should be part of the bankruptcy right now?
2: Sure, so to comment on the first part of the question, while I was there at FTX US, we tried to establish as much separation as possible. We had a separate running instance of the exchange that operated on a separate instance of the you know, the Postgres database that the customer's information was stored in. There were separate accounts at places like Silvergate and Signature and Circle. There were you know separate uh, hot wallets that the you know, crypto was stored in for the customers. We tried to have separate staff to whatever extent possible. Again, I spoke probably a lot about how difficult it was to try to hire separate people for that. However, what was always public was the fact that Sam Bankman-Free was the CEO of both FTX and FTX US. And Nishad Singh was the director of engineering of both of those companies. And Gary Wan was the CTO of both of those companies. And as long as that nexus of control was in the Bahamas, there was never going to be complete separation between the two entities. It was something that I talked about a lot internally that I made a lot of noise about, trying to hire separate you know, C-level staff for the U.S. side so we can establish true separation, and that made it very difficult for us to truly have that in place. As for whether FTX U.S. should be in the bankruptcy or not, you know, at this point, you know, I am for sure not an expert in bankruptcy law. There was obviously a lot that happened in the weeks leading up to the bankruptcy between the time I left and the time that FTX ultimately went under. It's very difficult to understand what the actual state of the business was at the time of bankruptcy.
0: Now, one of the things that has come out in the past couple months is just testimonies from John J. Ray, who is uh, in charge of the bankruptcy and heads the FTX estate, and also various media reports of of just how poorly run FTX was, things like no compliance department, no auditing. Do you feel that that portrayal is an accurate picture of, of what it was like at FTX?
2: So I think, again, it's important to be careful what you're talking about when you say FTX. You know, in FTX US, you know, we had separate staff, you know, on the legal side, on the compliance side. Um, The day-to-day operation felt, you know, fairly normal. Um, You know, I think some of the aspects of the lack of uh, documentation in a lot of cases was definitely an issue and something, again, that we brought up a lot. But what I would have to stress is, and I, I encourage everyone in the audience, especially if you're running a very early stage company, to think about how chaotic things are at the beginning. Even for large, well-established financial firms, you know, trading firms, ones that I've worked in in my past, I think people have this idea that like a big, successful business, if you look at it from the outside, it must have this you know, rosy, perfectly structured internals. And that's actually almost never true. It's always extremely chaotic, especially if you have a super high growth business that's growing way faster than management can keep up with. And I think this is sort of a problem with the industry and something that we all need to correct. And again, not just in crypto, but kind of in the startup world in general. So I think, of course, it was chaotic. And of course, there are management problems. And again, things that we try to talk about and address internally. But you know, I think that the, you have to be careful about what you're talking about when you when you hear some of those comments made about uh, kind of the state of affairs.
0: Thank you, Brett. I'd imagine that, you know, it could be very frustrating for you seeing people kind of bunched together FTX, US, and FTX. Um, so, Anthony, you, you know, I think you mentioned that you had traveled to the Bahamas that week in November when, it, you know, Sam was in trouble. This was after, you know, CZ had tweeted that he was selling, Uh, hundreds of millions worth of his FTT token. Uh, Tell us about your trip to the Bahamas, what you said to Sam, and kind of the atmosphere of the war room there.
1: Well, I I want to provide a little bit of context. So I've had some time to talk with CZ about the situation and others. I, I think, ultimately, some people are of the belief that CZ put Sam out of business. That is not the case. And so I just want to state that explicitly. Uh, And I don't even think it was CZ's intent to do that. Uh, But I think what happened was he was hearing rumblings from Sam, where Sam, uh, and it's sort of weirdly, the, uh, the trip that we took to the Middle East sort of catalyzed all of this. So Sam was saying some things in some meetings. I wasn't in those meetings, but it got back to me, and obviously it got back to CZ. He was saying some meetings meetings in Dubai that were derogatory of CZ, and so I think when that information came out, CZ said, "Okay, he was one of the founders of this. I helped Sam get the business started. Um, you know, he made it very upfront on Twitter that uh, you know that there was obviously a problem, and so he started to put his tokens up for sale. But if Sam was running the business appropriately, and he." wasn't participating in the nefarious ways that he was in the business, the business would have been fine. And so I think it's important. Some people have got on a stage like this and said, well, CZ put Sam out of business. No, no, Sam put Sam out of business. Uh, by the way, he, he ran that business. And so what happened to me is I was actually speaking in Sarasota, Florida. Um, there was rumblings that day. I think it was November the 6th or something like that, um, or 7th, the, the Monday was the 7th. And then I, I got back to New York, and I spoke to Sam's dad about the problem, and it was intimated to me that it was a, uh, an asset liability mismatch, that they were meeting redemptions, and there were assets available, but they weren't necessarily liquid, and they needed time to get the liquidity, and they were looking for some rescue financing. And so at that time, I was uh, you know, a good citizen and a partner in the business, effectively. They owned a piece of my business. I was certainly trying to help them on their fundraising round, um, and then I talked to his dad later in the day.
0: How much money were they? Um, well, they were talk,
1: they're talking about, and I've, I've said this before, they were talking about a billion dollars,
0: okay.
1: uh, which seemed, you know, a lot of money, but certainly would be manageable in the context of the size of the business. But later in the evening, that number went from a billion to four and a half billion. And then I said, OK, that's obviously a problem. And it's a bigger problem than they want to admit to. And so I made the decision that evening. I got on my phone. I booked myself a JetBlue flight down to the Bahamas, and I wanted to see for myself what was going on. You know, listen, I I put my name and reputation at stake. I introduced Sam to a lot of people. Uh, Brett and I, one short year ago, and I believe you were there with us, we had Crypto Bahamas at the Bahamar Hotel. Uh, Brett and I organized a dinner for the likes of Tony Blair and Bill Clinton and a whole host of uh, luminaries one short year ago, you fast forward, it's sort of still hard to believe that we're where we are right now. And so I needed to see it for myself. And so I went down there, and I would say that the war room was despondent. And I would say that it was clear to a few people uh, that there was a very small group of people that had done some things that they didn't let the other group of people into. And I've said this publicly, and I want you to think about this with your own businesses, and your own investing, the way crimes get committed is they get committed by very small groups of people. Uh, It's very hard to commit a crime like this with a large group of people, uh, because what you learn about psychology and sociology, there's always a person of conscience that comes out and says, hey, I don't wanna do this. So if you look at the Madoff situation, three or four people in a closed loop, I think as this story unfolds, if it eventually gets to trial, you'll see that it was three or four people in a closed loop that perpetrated the crime. Uh, And obviously, you know, it's in the paper and it's Department of Justice's analysis. Three of those four people have already pled guilty. So, guys, when the windows open and you hear clippity-clop outside, it's a horse. It's not a zebra. Okay, if you got three of the four people have already pled guilty, you know, it'll be very interesting to see how Sam makes a decision on his own plea. I mean, he's saying he's innocent for now. We'll have to see if it gets to trial. Um, I can tell you. That the were, bar- were
0: those three people in in the war room when you visited? They, they were United
1: not in the ever. no. They were not in the war room. But you know, Sam was there. He looked disassociated. He was apologizing to me for what happened. He was claiming that it was mislabeling. Um, remember, this is now Tuesday the eighth, and there was some discussion in the early morning about CZ buying the business. Uh, but I think once CZ got a look at the business, that non-binding letter that they signed, he realized that. It was not possible to really buy that business. Um, I guess, you know, I think Brett and I probably have a question for you because you're a good journalist. I mean, do you think there's any truth to that story that FTX is going to restart? Because I think that that's, I'd love to hear what Brett thinks, but I, I, I think that that's an impossibility. Me personally, I could see perhaps maybe the technology being sold and maybe some type of rebranding, but I don't, I don't see how you get FTX to restart. I don't know. What do you think, Brett?
2: I'm thinking about this a lot and people have asked me a lot about this. You know, my feeling is there's a reason why FTX grew so large so quickly and it's because people, by really mean the institutions, the sort of non-retail clients that made up the majority of volume on the exchange, really loved that product, they, you know, thought that the, the risk system, I know it's sort of ironic to talk about now, but the risk system, the interface, the APIs the matching logic worked extremely well. And so I think there is value to salvage from that. Do I think it can be done under the brand of FTX? Absolutely not. Uh, Do I think it could be done with the same code base now that, you know, we're reading in the DOJ indictments that there were specific, you know, backdoors put in there by people like Michaud and Gary? Absolutely not. So I think if a lot of the intellectual property, if the designs, um, if, a lot of the technology is ultimately sold to a, a company that's really going to bring this to life and manage it, I think it could be possible, but it would be a significant undertaking.
0: Since you asked my right opinion, I, I think, you know, right now, Binance is the big elephant in the room, and there are some issues on the regulatory front. They have been sued by the CFTC. So I think, you know, there is a, a lot of empty space for, you know, someone to kind mm-hmm. of come in and build a new exchange, one that's reputable. And I think there's an opportunity there. Um,
1: but I just don't think it's going to be named FTX. Yeah. <laughs> you know, again.
0: Back to the three individuals. And by the way, uh, the three individuals that have already pled guilty um, and are cooperating with uh, you know, prosecutors are, are Gary Wang, who is the co-founder of FTX, uh, Caroline Ellison, the CEO of, of Alameda Research, and Nishad Singh, who is the um, chief technology officer of FTX US, uh, you know, who do you think, if any, people um, are going to get charged next?
1: So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not close enough to that. I, I, don't, I don't know, um, you know, I don't want to toss it over to Brett and he may have better insight, but I, there is a chance, frankly, that no one else gets charged because, you know, again, very closed loop, you know, I don't know what happened with the political donations piece in terms of uh, the allegations there. So that could be a whole separate case. You know, you have a fraud situation going on and you may have some campaign finance violations going on as well. But I'm just not close enough to it to, to tell you that.
2: Yeah, I really have no idea either. I think one thing that makes that this particular case unique uh, from, from what I've heard from, friends who are on the legal side of this, is just the swiftness with which prosecutors have brought the charges, have brought the indictments, have brought all the details to light, and have been able to secure these guilty pleas. And the fact that they're going, aiming for that trial to be in October, it's all happening extremely quickly. They clearly have enormous you know, pressure to get you know, justice for what's happened. Um, I think based on how things go between now and the trial date might very much affect the appetite for you know investigators to go further and see if there's other ways to bring charges against anyone else or if there is anything else to bring. But yeah, as, as Anthony said, at this point, I'm not close enough at all to what's going on to know.
0: Okay. Well, my next question was going to be, you know, when is the last time you both have spoken to Sam? Are you currently uh, cooperating with any prosecutors in terms of discovery and uh, in, in helping with the case? And do you guys plan to? You know, watch the trial.
2: I can yeah. start with that. Um, mm-hmm. So last time I spoke to Sam. So I mean, after uh, you know, basically, effectively resigning in the middle of the year uh, last year, you know, Sam all would you know stop talking with me one on one. Even when I resigned fully from the firm, and I spoke to like the legal team about that, uh, I finally had texted Sam, uh, just letting him know that I was resigning. I got you know a single emoji back, and that's the last that I heard from him. Um, probably last I will ever hear from him again. Was it like um,
1: the, was it the poo-poo emoji or? I'm just it,
2: it, it, was, it was the heart. It was a red heart. Okay. That may be the nicest thing I've gotten in a long time from him. Uh, but you know, from there, um, you know, in terms of you know cooperation, the you know investigators they've interviewed you know dozens of employees getting information on what happened. I was certainly one of those. Uh, back in January, talked to them briefly. Um, you know, I'm I'd be happy to be helpful in any way that I can, and you know, shed light on anything happening you know within the company, FTX, US FTX. It's part of again why we're why we're here is to talk publicly as much as possible. about what happened to uh, both assist in this case and help people understand what happened so that something like this mm-hmm. doesn't ever happen again to whatever extent possible.
1: Thanks, Brett. Right. Yeah, so it's similar to Brett, I've, I've certainly, of uh expressed the willingness to cooperate, but I'm not in the blast zone because I was a portfolio company, and so uh, no one's reached out to me, but I have openly and through my attorneys have said whatever anybody needs from me, I'm available and accessible, but I wasn't inside the blast zone, and I think Brett and I could both say this, we didn't see any criminal activity. Again, it was it was held in a very close group of people, so, um, but yes, I'd be more than willing to cooperate, and the last time I spoke to Sam was November 7th. Wow. November the 8th, I'm sorry, it was Tuesday, November 8th. When I left the Bahamas, it was the last time I spoke to him. Got it.
0: Um, So we just have under, you know, a minute and a half left. Um, Anthony, I wanted to ask you a closing question. So, you know, you're somebody that's been knocked around a couple of times, but you always manage to get back up and keep fighting. And, uh, you know, it's been a tough year in crypto, in the past year, there's been blow ups, people lost money, people got scammed, people got laid off. Um, how do you manage to, I guess, always, you know, keep fighting and come back?
1: Well, I, listen, I mean, you've got 46 seconds, so I'll be very brief. I think there's three things people should think about. Number one, what other people think of you is none of your business. OK, my grandmother said that to me when I was 10 and never more appropriate today in the age of social media. If you think of the mental illness issues our teenagers are having right now, uh, a lot of it is coming from social media. I think social media is the tobacco for the brain. You know, We're giving our brain lung cancer through social media, and you get the mixed metaphor that I'm making. So number one, do not care about what other people think of you. Number two, you're either an entrepreneur or you're not. And if you're an entrepreneur, you have to accept that you're on a faded journey. Meaning if I think that Bitcoin's gonna be 10X where it is today in five years, and I absolutely believe that, I put my chips on the table, I've expressed my reasons macroeconomically why that's going to be. Uh, I'm a high profile person, so if it goes down 65%, you gotta expect to be lit up by the press when that happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if I'm right, Uh, and it's five years from now and Bitcoin is 10x, then that's going to be a great thing for my investors and my family. But I am on a fated journey. Uh, I can only control so many of the variables um, and we'll have to leave it up to the face to decide what ultimately happens. And good entrepreneurs accept the journey. Uh, They're willing to live with the results and the destination one way or the other. And I'm generally a very happy person. So they can write whatever the hell they want about me, and uh, you know Donald Trump said to me something, and him and I are fighting now. But said, me, just make sure they spell your name right when they're writing about you, you know." And that's fine. Got to deal with it, you know. All
0: right. Well, on that note, um, thank you all for joining. A big round of applause for Brett for joining us. And good to see you, Brett.
1: Brett. Thank you.